So recently, I've been extremely picky about the candles that I keep around the house. A lot of home fragrances don't really smell natural. They're not really sweet and have a lot of chemicals. And after learning that the candle industry contributes to an insurmountable amount of non-recyclable waste, carbon emissions, and just toxicity in the air, that has changed the way that I select the candles that I keep in my house. And that's why I'm so glad that Notes Candles exist. They're on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up high-quality fragrance that smells amazing. The candle industry has a major problem, which is almost 2 billion candles are sold globally each year in almost all of them. And I mean all of them are likely to end up in landfills for the next one million years. That's right. A million. Insane. But Notes Candles has created a solution. They have a refillable candle system that allows you to use your candle vessel again and again and again. So you don't become a part of the problem. And it's so easy to use. The candles are made with fragrance wax beads. So all you have to do is place the wick in your reusable Notes jar, fill it up with wax beads, enjoy your fragrance for up to 36 hours, and then do it all over again. And you're ready for a new one. And you don't have to settle for less exciting fragrances with notes either. In fact, their collection of almost 13 fragrances are handcrafted by fragrance experts at their home base in South Carolina that are insane. I have a few of these here. Me and Jordan have been using them and I love it. Me and Jordan both are really big candle users, ironically, and so we can't get enough of this. And they have all these interesting one-of-a-kind fragrances like oak milk, vanilla, pepperwood, potassio, rose water all of them are amazing so be a responsible consumer while not giving up high quality fragrance by making the switch to notes you can build your custom starter kit right now at notescandles.com slash just different right now notes is giving our listeners 15 percent off and free shipping when you buy a notes starter kit using code just different just use code just different when placing your order that's code just different at notes candle dot com slash just different all right yo what's up it's your boy d starks starks artist you're now tuned in to the just different podcast where we talk everything faith life and culture today as promised we're gonna be getting into a q a yeah. we put a poll up on our story this had to be about a week and a half ago and you all had the opportunity to send in some questions which were amazing. And so a few things that we're going to be getting into, at least for the first half, are some general questions just about like faith, life, that you all wanted some answers on. And then after that, we'll get into just some personal things like about us. But yeah. part of that will be really getting into how to build a consistent Christ-centered routine when life changes so much. How do you differentiate your voice from God's and hearing him more clearly? How to navigate conversations to a friend who is falling deeply into worldly things. How do you deal with criticism and backlash from non-believers? And, and finally, what to do when you move into a place that doesn't have a strong Christian community. And so those would be a few things that we're talking about. They get into some lighter and fun things at yeah. the end. But with all that being said, let's waste no time and get into it. Let's so go. starting off, how to build... Or at least, how do you build a consistent Christ-centered routine when life changes so much? I like this question. I like this question. This is a good question. I've been uh, in this essentialism book I've been reading. 
He actually just talked about Michael Phelps. Uh, for those of you who don't know who that is, he's a, a best swimmer, Olympic swimmer ever. Won the, I think he has the record for the most gold medals. Um, he's the GOAT. He's a GOAT of the Olympics, essentially. And he was going through essentially what his routine looked like. And literally every time he has a meet, from the morning of the meet to the end of the day, like he has the same routine every time. Uh, no, it was crazy. Like down to like the smallest thing, like the song he plays at the time that he plays the song, the warm ups he does, like it's the exact same. And I feel like that's the common thread among all successful people that you will ever talk to is they have a routine. I promise you, if you ask them to say, yeah, I have a routine and it will tell you what their routine routine is down to the hour. Right. So that's why I like this question because routine is very important. And on top of that, Christ-centered, which is, which is what it says, is even more important. And I'll say how to build this routine because life changes. I agree. But I feel like in terms of like a morning routine, I think that's really where it starts. And that is the most important part because that sets up the whole rest of your day. Um, and with the morning routine, I honestly, no matter what season of life you're in, I don't think it will ever have to change too much. Uh, cause I know I'm still young. I'm only 20, but I feel like a lot of the seasons I've been in my morning routine for the most part could have been the same. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I would have to wake up earlier because I had this job and I had to get there at a certain time. So I had to wake up at seven at school. I would have to wake up at a different time, but I think no matter what season of life you're in, the morning routine can, for the most part, stay consistent. You know what I mean? Um, and I think practically what that looks like for me is like I have verses that I read over each morning. I pray every morning. Um, I try to get a walk in. Sometimes I can't, but that's what that looks like. And I think because it says how, I think I'm just naming like, you know, what that looks like, but how to do it is really just, hmm. It really starts with understanding the importance of it, which is why I kind of started my response that way, laying out like how important this is to success is because if you don't understand the why of of why it's important, then you're not going to do it. Because I could say, oh, you need to have discipline to do it. But I think a big part of the discipline is rooted in the urgency that you have in your heart about a thing, right? So if I have the urgency of, oh, this routine is important, then I'm going to make sure I have the discipline in setting up this routine in my life because it's it's not going to just happen by accident. Whatever dream you have, you wanting to grow closer to God, because I think that's really what this routine is about. It's not just going to happen by accident. So once you realize that, it's like, okay, I need to make sure I'm setting up consistent habits in my day to make sure that I'm growing closer to God, that I'm reaching that goal. So I think how that's the answer I would give is to start with understanding the importance of it. Right. And I would say to your point of the significance to a morning routine, something that I've heard once that I've taken with me and always recite and am reminded of is the fact that what you think about before you go to bed will determine like the quality of your sleep. <laughs> and what you think about when you wake up is going to determine the quality of your day. And so when the Bible speaks about like setting your mind on things above, one, God isn't the one who sets your mind for you. That's an action <laughs> that you take into your own hands. And that is something that you do daily. You do down to the hour and even to the second as you're walking throughout your day. And so that being the premise of what your meditation is, waking up is going to already set you up for 
having that space and time where God's invited into everything that you do. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And what I put down really was related to, I think it comes down to in terms of how to build this consistent routine is daily disciplines and non-negotiables. And the example that I use is in the same way that we know, like we all know for a fact that throughout our day, we're going to check Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, our email, um, or our messages in our minds, we're not even doing that intentionally. That is something that is subconscious to us that yeah. we know at some point in our daily regimen, we're going to be checking these things, giving our time to it. And that's just how it is and what happened. So, and it just happens so loosely. And so my thing is in the same way that we're on autopilot with giving our time to these other things, it's the same way we're supposed to be when it comes to our relationship with God. Right. So just as easy as it is just to open your phone, like just with bliss and ignorance, with us right. not even a second thought of going to Instagram, that should become the daily part of how we're getting into our Bible. Right. Like this is yeah. a normal routine for us. Like I'm not going a morning. I'm not going a day without at least praying or getting into my word and making sure I'm setting that time aside for God. And so I think it's like just a shift in that of, OK, like if we can check in on these other things, like. If we're saying our priority is to get closer to him and he's an integral part of our life, then we have to give that same diligence to what contributes to us growing in our walk, in our faith. And it also comes down to discipline and essentially delaying instant gratification. And you talked about this, but we have to get to a point where what may be tempting us or desires that we have to put our time in different places that we're crucifying that and turning it to reading our Bible, praying, yeah. fasting, getting in community, watching what we're listening, hearing and seeing. And as we continue to do that day by day, that's when it becomes that like subconscious thing that I mentioned. And so that's really a big thing for me that I've had to learn and something that I do, because sometimes it's not always about the feeling of, okay, I feel as if I really want to get into my word or I feel like right. you know, getting into the secret place or seeking his presence. It's more about um, making decision in spite of how you feel. And to me, like that's discipline, you know? Right. And so like in the same way, like, you know, no matter how we're feeling, like we're going to turn on Netflix, we'll get to Hulu, yeah. we'll find some time for for YouTube. Why is that same sentiment not always gravitated toward, okay, like these things I know that are priorities yeah. in my relationship with God. And so that discipline, doing it day in and day out, and then realizing that time will always indicate priority. And so what you give your time to is ultimately what has your heart. And so I think we have to come to a realization that we may not, let me not say love God the way we say we do, but we don't prioritize him the mm -hmm. way that we think. And that's something that I've had to like really come to, come to grips with and face and really understand, okay, the why, why is that? Why is this so difficult? Why is this something that I can't discipline myself in? And yeah. once you start to unravel that, that kind of goes back to the last episode when we're talking about our testimonies of getting back to that reverence and that fear, that's when that discipline can start falling into place when that foundation is there. But yeah, it comes down to priority. So your daily disciplines and non-negotiables, writing those out and being very intentional with them. Like, okay, like every morning I know I'm going to pray for at least whatever it is, 20 minutes, 
15, yeah. 10. I'm getting through at least this one passage of scripture and I'm going to listen to this particular sermon and or, yo, take some time. Like you go, like you go on walks, take some time or take some quiet time to allow God to speak with me and just level myself for the day. So that's what I would say concerning that. It just comes down to those. It has to, these daily non-negotiables yeah. that you don't compromise on for any reason. Yeah, no, that's good. And I say something that came to mind while you were talking is just comfort. Um, cause I think with discipline and setting up these routines, it's not always something that is comfortable. Um, actually most often times it is uncomfortable and something that I've been praying is that God teaches me to despise my comfort. And I was, I was on my drive on the way here, actually to Kansas city. And I was thinking about how, I guess let's just start in, in, in the business world, right? The criteria on if something is beneficial is, is based on its production. So if something is not producing, then it's not beneficial and it gets cut off, right? So for example, say you start up a business or you, you start up a chain, you have three of them. You have three restaurants. One of them, you're literally no money is coming in weekly and it's not producing. What are you going to do to that restaurant? You're going to discontinue it, right? And you're going to sell off that building or whatever, right? So if something isn't producing, it's not beneficial. Therefore, it is cut out, right? It is cut out. And I feel like we have to have that same mentality. And it's not even just business. That is a mentality that like you see all throughout all systems of the world, right? And that's something that we need to apply to our lives. Like if something is not producing, then I need to cut it off. And something that I realize is comfort literally produces nothing beneficial, like not like nothing. Like when you think about it, bro, like your comfort gives you what? Like a momentary like feeling of, ah, you know, mm-hmm. and that's literally it. But in terms of future wa- harvest, it produces literally nothing. So a prayer of mine has just been God teach me to despise my comfort because it's not producing. Right. So I need to cut it out. Um, so when it comes to your routines and these habits, you have to remember that like it might not be comfortable, but the discomfort is producing. Right. It's producing fruit It's bringing me closer to what I mentioned earlier, growing closer to God, being more disciplined, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the one your comfort zone will kill you. It will. It's simple. And so getting into the next question, simple. And so getting into the next question, how do you differentiate your voice from God's and hear him more clearly? Okay. I like this question. So I have, well, let's start here because I have an answer, but you have to know his word. Let's start there. Foundation, you have to know his word because God will never contradict himself, right? So if there's a thought that's coming to your mind and it is going up against his word, something that he said, something that he's spoken, then it's not from him. And it's as simple as that. And if it lines up with his word, then it is from him. Because sometimes, this is what we talked about before, but if you want to hear God's voice, like he sounds like his word, like his words right there to become more acclimated and familiar with the sound and the tone of his voice, you have to understand and know his word, right? Um, so that's first, that's first step. And something else that I've been thinking on is, I feel like sometimes we ask God to give us confirmation on if he's telling us to do a thing when he's already giving us, given us confirmation through his word, which is what I just mentioned. But what I mean is, I want to give a practical example. So sometimes I'll be out in my day and I'll get an inclination to go up and like pray for a person or something like that. And I'll ask God like, Oh God, is this you or is this, is this just my, is this just in my head? Like, give me confirmation. And it's like, 
why do I need to pray to God if he's if this is him telling me to go pray over that person? Because hypothetically, say it is just a thought in my head that lines up with his word. Nothing bad is going to come from that. If anything, everything good is going to come from that. So that's something else I've been thinking on. It's like you don't necessarily need to ask God for confirmation that he's already given you through these through this book, through the Bible. You know what I mean? Um, so that's why knowing his word is very important. Like you have to know it. Um, but that second part only goes for if you know his word, because if you don't know his word and you just assume in, oh, yeah, this is a thought that came to my head, but I'm just going to do it. Well, you have to. That's the that's the um, the barometer is what his word has to say. Um, I think that's the biggest part of that question is knowing what his, what his word is. Right. But to to your point, the word of God in the Bible itself is the barometer and the filter through how you live your life, the perspective in which you see it and how, what you're running every thought through. Yeah. And so if that's not there, then you have no scale and or measure to, okay, like this is the direction I should go in or not. So definitely easily the most important aspect of that. And voice, no, exactly. And I have put down to recognize someone's voice it has to come from someone you're familiar with or have spent time with. You will never respond to the voice of a stranger. And that's who God is to most of us because we don't spend time with him. And so it is having genuine relationship, which is something that yeah. is repeated. That may be one of those things that you've heard before, but it really does come down to those basic fundaments of, okay, how are you even speaking to God? And what is the frequency of that? Like, who are you giving your own internal thoughts and pain points and struggles to, right? And so as you continue to press in and give your heart to God and you're spending time in that, that space and his presence and giving him that opportunity to ultimately be there for you and give everything to his hands, then you get acclimated to the way that he moves, right? How he speaks to you specifically in different seasons and different ways, right? And so whenever you hear his or you hear a voice, again, you have a barometer, not just through the word of God, but through your actual experience. And I think that's the second part yeah. of this. Through your own experience and relationship that you've built in the secret place day in and day out, kind of tying back into the first question through those daily disciplines that you yeah. have and non-negotiables that you put in place. And so that's what I would say as well. And it talks about this in a particular verse that I'm going to find, but it's just about staying close and the closer you are, the more familiar, the more the closer you are, the more familiar you get. And so when you hear that voice, right, it's, you know, whose it is, where it's coming from. And if it is him, it's not a stranger anymore. And then you can respond the way you need to. Then if it's not, then you can move in the direction that you know you need to keep the direction, you know, you need to continue in. And that's what it comes down to. Hmm. Yeah. I wrote down, interrogate the thought. Cause I like, I don't know. I just like the way that's worded. And it's something that I was having a conversation with someone about it, but they were just talking about understanding the art of interrogating the thoughts. Um, so whenever, whatever thought comes to your mind, because we were specifically talking about lies of the enemy. So I guess it, it ties into this question. Cause it's like, okay, is it God speaking? Is it the enemy? Is it my mind? Like, what is it? Right. So 
she was talking about, you know, when lies come in, you have to start interrogating the thought. And she was talking mm. about how oftentimes when lies come in or thoughts come in, it's kind of like we start questioning God instead of questioning the thought. Um, but you just have to create this habit of like, no matter what thoughts come into your head, always interrogate it. Like, okay, who's this from? Like, and the more you do that, like you you were talking about, you'll, you'll become more sensitive to like, oh, I know this is God. But at, at more of like a um, foundation level, you're just someone who's learning how to hear the voice of God, interrogate every thought. Like, okay, is this, is this from God? What does his word have to say? Does this make sense with that? Does it not? Et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, learn how to interrogate the thought. I think that's really good. Right. And to the verse I was looking for is actually in John 10. I just recently did a devotional and study about this chapter. And it's basically God talking about him being the good sheep and his shepherd. And in verse 25, it says, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And he's speaking to the Pharisees. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So to the point of um, my sheep hear my voice and to another, they will not listen. And so obviously when you think about the relationship between sheep and shepherd and the time that is spent between them and the direct directives in which they take and the way in which they follow the shepherd is the same way in which, of course, we're supposed to conduct ourselves when it comes to God. And so to no voice will we listen to or take directive from um, mm-hmm. because we've had that time with him. And so, yeah, I would definitely add that as well. But was there anything else you had? Yeah, I actually I'm glad you brought that up because I was reading that like I think earlier this week, which is crazy. But when it says to your point, I like how it says my sheep know my voice. And that's specifically when I read it, it stood out to me. So it's like, okay, what I, what I heard with that was what wasn't being said. Okay. My sheep know my voice. So if you don't know his voice, then you aren't his sheep. So I, th- you aren't, or yeah, is that, is that the singular form of sheep? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be confusing me. But if you don't know his voice, you aren't his sheep. So, if you're someone who doesn't know God's voice, I think your first course of action is learning how to be a part of his flock, which when you look at what a shepherd and the shepherd and the sheep, the relationship is the shepherd just leads the sheep. So essentially, if you're not being led by God, you are not his sheep. Therefore, you do not hear his voice. So if you do not hear his voice, start being led by God and you will know his voice, if that makes sense. So that's good. So that I can practically... If you start following God, you will begin to know his voice. If you start allowing him to be your shepherd and leading you and providing for you, then you will start to know his voice better. So I I thought that was good from that voice. A hundred percent. Who's leading you? Who's leading you? Becomes a question to get to the root of it and to go even that much deeper with this conversation or rather just the question itself, because you're listening to someone or something. And so it's about distinguishing, distinguishing what that is and allowing those voices to be removed if they aren't of God. And of course, giving your ear to everything that is. And so that's also important to understand too of what is even getting in the way or deterring you from hearing him clearly is like, okay, who and what has your ear? So then get into the next question, which I, really enjoyed this one and thought it was amazing but how to navigate conversations to a friend who was falling deep into worldly things 
Because mm. I know we've both we've both seen that or been there for sure. Of, oh man, so how part of our testimony, you know, for sure. To some degree, learned learned a lot of lessons from situations like that. So I would say the mod the motto, man. The question these days: What would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? Um, what would he do if, if he were in my shoes? So when you're talking to someone who is kind of deep, they're stra- deep in worldly things, they're straying away, they're just living this sinful life, what would you just do in my shoes? And I think for a lot of us, really for all of us, it's very clear that he was once in our shoes with us specifically. Like we were the person that was in the world and he was the person that was trying to pull us out of it. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying be Jesus for them because you can't, but you get my point. Like, how did how did he go about saving you? Like how, how did he go about guiding you out of those times? And he did it with truth. He did it with love. He did it with corrections, um, but mainly with love and comfort. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's really the big thing for setting up your heart posture for conversations like this and for dealing with people like this is doing it with love. And I don't want to sound cliche, but um, I think the moment that you start caring more about the fact that they're sinning than you care about their heart, then that's just going to lead to a lot of frustration because I've been there. I've, I've been in, I've been in situations where I was just more frustrated at the fact that they were switching up instead of caring about just, yo, like, are you okay? Like, are you good? Because people don't just dibble and dabble in sinful desires just for the, for the heck of it. Like usually something's wrong, especially if they switched up or like they were doing good and they reverted back. Um, I'm thinking of a specific example that happened to me recently with a friend of mine, someone he loved dearly. Um, they was wilding out basically. And it was really out of character because I know this person, they were wilding out and he came to me and he was like, bro, I'm just frustrated. Like, like, how could they do this? Da, 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 da. Like they're not thinking about how this affected anyone else. And I was like, okay, well, how's it affecting them? Like, I feel like your first question should be, okay are you okay? Because people don't just do things to do them. There's always a route. So when you're speaking to people like that, that's a good mentality to have. Get to the root of it. First off, you got to care about their heart. And second off, care about why are they doing this? Don't get so caught up in the fact that they're doing it. Don't get too frustrated. Um, I think that's the heart posture you have to have. Like, what's wrong? Are you okay? I think when you approach it like that, the conversation becomes a lot more, um, becomes a lot more, I don't want to say easier. But like I said earlier, you have to care more about their heart and them as a person and less about what they're doing and their actions. So I think that's a good rule of thumb when it comes to stuff like this. And I would say it comes down to empathy, patience and long suffering (laughs) and heavy on that last aspect of long suffering, which is a fruit of the spirit. And it's not something that we can do through ourselves. But. I would say in terms of dealing with anyone who may be sliding back into sin or acting out of character and going back to things that aren't beneficial for them or conducive to where, you know, they want to go, especially when it comes to their walk with Christ. I would say the motto to what you're saying, like of what would you just do in my shoes? I'm reminded of what he did, or at least a parable of the prodigal son. And that was the first thing that came to my mind. And I believe that in the same way that the prodigal came back and was welcomed with open arms and 
accepted, cared for, and still loved, right? Without restriction, without condition, with no vengeance or any ill will coming from anyone, particularly the father. It's the same way in which we're supposed to go about how we're conducting ourselves and how we're acting and treating whoever this individual may be, like someone close to us or even maybe further away outside of our circle. And still showing that love even in their absence, right? So like when you look at that parable, like there was, he he had set the table, the set the table was set. He was prepared and his heart posture was still one to your point of, yo, like I want my son, I want this individual to like be okay. Yeah. I, I, I want to be here and stand in the gap for them as much as I possibly can and intercede um, for them to return back to where I know God wants them to be. And so that's what I would say. And I was going to ask you about the tattoo that you have 70 times seven, explain yep. that. Cause I think that adds to this when we talk about empathy, patience and long suffering. Mm-hmm. So essentially it's a, I don't know the exact verse, which I know that's crazy. Cause I got to tattoo it on me, but um, <laughs> one of the disciples asked Jesus, he was like, how many times should I forgive my, my brother he says 70 times seven and um i'm trying to think yeah he said he said 70 times. and then there's more that said after that right and he's like um it's essentially a verse about forgiveness and um, i think that goes into long suffering right because even when you think about when he says like 70 times seven it's like bro that's a lot of times and that's not the exact number like after that he's just like no the point is just forgive your brother like no matter what he does against you. And it's like, he can do it again and again and again, but you still have to have that hard posture of, I'm still here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm still here for you, still caring for you, still forgiving you. And I think that's so big when it comes to stuff like this, because people, you can't make a decision for someone. That's something I want to add to add to this question, is no matter how much you're there for someone, giving them advice, having these said conversations, they can't, you can't force that decision on them. You can't give their yes for them. That's something they have to surrender for themselves. And it can get frustrating if you're not rooted in the idea of this verse of, for, of forgiveness and you're not fully tapping into long suffering and that fruit of your spirit. Because it's, it, you can't it's a long game, yourself. bro. <laughs> it's a long game, bro. And like to your point, through the spirit, it's not something that you can do from your own strength because bro. in our own flesh and our nature as human beings the way that we think in our perspective naturally is not to one forgive really have true patience or really walk people through a process even if it may hurt us and so you really have to lean on god in those moments when you're having someone who you know may be falling back into things and not being receptive Right. Maybe not listening or heeding the advice that you're giving them um, and maybe going their own way and still being there for them when that time comes back and they come around. Right. Because you have to let everyone walk out their soul salvation. And for me, I can say that because like I've gone through the same period of time at one season of my life. Yeah. where like, yo, like I was lost and falling back into things that weren't productive, conducive nor pushing me to where I need to be. And I had people around me who were trying to speak into me, pour into me, give me their hand for me to get pulled out. And I wasn't receptive to that. 
right? And now right. thank God that they had the long suffering and were walking in the spirit to still be there for me once I finally came back around and got my mind right, you know? And so, you know, I've seen that even in my own life through different examples of people in my inner circle and I'm forever grateful, but you know, I would, I couldn't have imagined what life would be like if that wasn't their heart posture and how they yeah. went about it. And so, so, you know, someone that's been on that, that, that the ladder, or at least uh, on the other end of what we're speaking to, um, I can definitely say that it, it makes, it makes all the difference. And, mm -hmm. you know, as someone who is trying to help that individual, like you said, understanding you can't save them, not allowing it to cripple you, um, to the point of you being desensitized or indifferent yeah. to that person or even overextending yourself and trying to be their savior. So it's too, it's, it's twofold with that. Yeah. Not becoming indifferent and not trying to be the superhero, right? Just continuing to be the solid rock and, um, that consistent, like reinforcement in that person's life. And that's yeah. it. That's good. That's good. Okay. Okay, so with that, the next one is, how do you deal with the criticism and backlash from non-believers? This is good. I think this goes back to one of the biggest lessons God's been teaching me and something that I also talked about in last episode is the fear of God. When you have the fear of God in your heart, everything else must flee. When you have just such a level of reverence for him, it's as if nothing else matters. Like how you feel doesn't matter. How other people feel doesn't matter. And in this area, I got very convicted when it came to just caring about the opinions of others. Even just little stuff like sometimes when I was posting, I would just be overthinking like, oh, what are they going to think about that? And what are they going to think about this? And sometimes even I don't struggle heavily with social anxiety, but um, even when I have just sometimes... I would feel it sometimes and I would just get really convicted because it's as if the moment that you start caring about other people's opinions more than God's, you are in that moment, your mind is implying that they're as big as God or God is as small as them, if that makes sense. Because it's like, hmm. And it goes back to also what I talked about last episode. I don't want to be a, a broken record, but with how the foundation of your walk is contingent upon your perspective of God. So if I'm forgetting how big God is, how sovereign he is, how glorious, holy, amazing that he is, then obviously I'm going to start caring about the opinions of men. But if I fully understand who God is, I'm going to care way more about his criticism, about what he's saying, about what, what he cares about than what I'm going to care about what man's saying, Right. And I think it really comes down to that. It's like realizing like how big God is. Like he's bigger than their critiques. He's bigger than their opinions. And if I'm doing something that is pleasing him and other people don't like it, then guess what? It is what it is. Because it's, it's, I, I have a full scope of who it is that I'm trying to please. And I like, so it says specifically non-believers. Was that the, the question? Specifically non-believers? It back, was, back yes. How do you deal with the criticism and backlash from non-believers? Okay. And this is even, this is even more vital with the fact of it being non-believers because Jesus talked about how the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few and we're called to go out 
and get this harvest, right? Go out and get his sheep, as I like to say. Like when you talk to Peter, he's like, if you love me, take care of my sheep. So something you have to realize is the one tending the flock can't be scared of the of the sheep. Mm. You can't like if you're the one that's gathering his sheep together to him to get through the gate, you can't be afraid of the sheep. And that's specifically non-believers and even people who might claim to be believers who but don't really have a faith. But that's that that's why I wanted to pinpoint exactly the non-believer thing, because if that's what we're called to be, you can't be fearful of the very things or the very people that you're trying to bring out of bondage. You know what I mean? Like you're bound by their opinions while you're trying to pull them out of their change. And it's like, that's not going to work. You know what I mean? Um, so I think the biggest thing is understanding who God is. And you just, it, it, you just don't care. It's like you won't care anymore. Exactly. And I'm reminded of two verses. One is in Galatians one ten. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So that's one. And then the second is in Psalms 56. And this is the really the entire chapter, but a few verses in here. And it says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you and God, whose word I praise and God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do mm. to me? And to answer the question of how to deal with this criticism that comes from non-believers, for me, I have to remember that this is to be expected and it's not personal. People do not have an issue with me specifically. It is the name that I claim in the message in which I represent or embody, which of course is the gospel. And it speaks about this in John 15, 18 through 23. And it says, Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Last verse, whoever hates me hates my father as well. And so... We have to realize that, you know, this is why it talks about in James chapter one to count it all joy when you go through trials of many kind yeah. and as this was going to produce perseverance for your faith, because this is what is to be expected. Right. Jesus spoke this to the disciples as he was walking the earth as an extension to us, understanding that since we are not of the world. Right. There's going to be people whose eyes have not been open to God himself, the truth the message of the gospel that is going to reject and going to be in opposition of that. And so I would say, yeah, it's to, it's to be expected, you know, and not allow it to cripple you or put you in fear and, or any hesitation. Because I think for me, that has been a struggle at times because I'm not a people pleaser and help me out really to like describe it. Or maybe there's another term, but I definitely, want people to always feel safe, secured, loved, cared for, and respected when they step into my space. And sometimes from the outside looking in from the world, because of the the beliefs I hold, 
they label me as someone who is judgmental, that's hypocritical, that's so that is hateful, homophobic, fill in the blank. And so that at some point when I was younger in my faith was an issue at times. I may have not been as bold or outspoken about different things um, because I, I wanted people to have that space. And I guess yeah. really what I'm getting to, I didn't want them to be offended. Right. Right. But the truth is offensive. The gospel is offensive. And am I willing to offend you at the cost of your, the cost of your heart, the cost of your life and your salvation. And so I think that it comes to that in a perspective shift of just not, not fearing what people have to right. say and like really having that boldness, which comes from the spirit once again of, okay, nothing else matters outside of what God has to say about me. Right. And yeah. me getting this message out. And yeah. So that's what I would add to that. And honestly, just, Again, like stay encouraged and don't fear. And I think that's what I'm really stepping into now more than ever is not allowing like the enemy to try and like keep your mouth shut or allow you to represent the message or the gospel to its full extent. Right. It talks about this in first John four verses four through six. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listen to and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So just not allowing that fear because I think that is something when it comes to even like social anxiety that people can definitely have, especially as Christians, because we feel like the world is such a, so like the, our backs against the wall. We know we feel like we're getting jabs left and right into some degree. Definitely. But so I yeah. said it's to be expected and not something to fear at all. And so that's what I want to get across to, in terms of how you deal with it, um, to add on to what you were already saying. Yeah. And let me, and let me add this as a caveat. And this and this response is more. Uh, I don't want to say harsh, but sometimes I'm the type of person that sometimes I just need to hear stuff. Just bro, just keep it a buck with me. Just be real with me, right? Keep it real with me. So, let's be honest. What, what is backlash like? Obviously, I can't ask this qu- this question to the person who, who you know gave the question, but like you know, I would ask like you know expound like explain to me what backlash is in terms of like your own life and what you've experienced. And I mean, I, I would say I've experienced some backlash in terms of my faith, but when I'm looking at the Bible, bro, when I'm looking at the stuff, the backlash they was going through, it's like, that is nothing compared to stuff like, you talking about words, bro? You talking about insults, bro? Read Hebrews 11. Anyone honestly struggling with their faith, anyone struggling with this 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 question right here? Go read Hebrews 11. It talks about just the amount of faith that these people had back, you know, Abraham, Isaac. It talks about all these people and the amount of faith that they had, the apostles and the backlash that they faced. It was talking about how they was getting beheaded. They was getting sawed in half. They was getting flogged. They was getting stoned to death. And it's like, to me, that gives me, I don't want to say it, it, it makes me, it gives me more of like a, like a fire and more of like a, bro, this is nothing like. I don't I don't ever want to be in a place where I'm complaining and allowing words to hurt me so much when they were literally getting physically hurt. Um, and even people in other countries literally can't even talk about their faith. 
they have to hide, you know what I'm saying? They have to hide. They can't have their Bibles out. Like they could literally get killed for it. And um, I, I never want to forget that. And I think me keeping that in the back of my head always gives me tougher skin. Like, like, come on, bro. Like, you're yeah, good. Definitely. You're good, bro. So, I, w- I would say the same. I think it's all about perspective. Then, of course, to your point, just realizing you know, different types of persecution. Well, yeah, I would say it's all about perspective. And I would say just, you know, for those who, I don't know, I think we we know pain isn't right or wrong, it's real. So like a fact. For, for some individuals, that is definitely like significant and like a stumbling block and issue. And to your point, just now allowing that to cripple you to the point of not being vocal about your faith and keeping you in fear. Don't try to illegitimize the anxiety that you have about this backlash or criticism and face it head on. Like give it to God, allow him to do the work in you through his spirit to refine you, demolish these things, to give you that boldness to step into the fullness of it. And so just an extension of that, but yes, to your point, I want to say that it comes down to, are you willing to die for it? And I think that's me. Like, I think there's a quote and it's like, you really, it's along the lines of you really find life when you really live, you you really, and there's a quote that's along the lines of you really begin to live once you find what you're willing to die for. And when I think about this, that's been my mindset lately and why I'm really, and you're going to, you're going to see kind of not necessarily a, a shift in tone with the podcast, but just us digging deeper into a lot of different things and topics because this is all that matters. Like I'm, when I think about, like you said, the fate of all the 12 disciples, they all yeah. were martyrs. Yeah. And were killed, beheaded, murdered to some degree. And, not that I'm like aspiring to aspiring to that, you know what I mean? Like, Lord, take me quick <laughs> in a different way. But I'm I'm willing to die for it. Yeah. This message, his name, what he's called me to, not, like, yo, it, it's that above all else. Yeah. It's that simple. So yes. Now, getting into the last one of these kind of like formal ones. What do you do when you move to a place that doesn't have a strong Christian community or rephrasing how to, how do you find Christian community? Hmm. Okay. I I, I guess I'll say, Hmm. It is something you definitely have to be intentional about. Um, something that I've spoken before in our a previous episode. I don't remember what exactly the conversation was, but I was talking about how when you look at Jesus, and him and his disciples he didn't just like just find his like his disciples you know what i mean and something that stood out to me is i realized okay in his ministry he was looking for people who would hmm essentially fish for men like he he understood that's what he knew he needed he needed disciples and people who are going to fish for men bring people to his kingdom so he was out walking the shores right 
on this like near the sea and he found actual fishers of fish and he tells them like we know the notorious line you know you fish for fish but i will make you fishers of men and i think that's a testament to how intentional jesus was about finding his community those people around him his disciples that walked with him um he wasn't just sitting in the wilderness like oh man they're just going to come to me you know what i mean Mm. and i think so many of us we do that when we go to new environments into new cities new schools we're not really intentional about looking for these people and i think that looks different like if you have a maybe look for like clubs they might have at a school or something like that if you're in school um go to different churches um stuff like that you got you got to be intentional about finding it and i also say if you've done all of that and you still can't find christian community Sometimes you just have to be the person that cultivates that community. Um, start a Bible study, invite people to it. Um, that's something that God's been laying on my heart because sometimes that's what it is. You have to be the person that wants th- that makes them desire Christian community. If there's no one in your area that wants it, um, being an example and making them question like, hmm, what do they have? Like, you know. Um, so sometimes that is what it looks like is ma- cultivating that, but. You do have to be intentional about it. And I think practically it's stuff like that, like going to different churches, finding good community in that way. Um, yeah. Talk, talk, talk. You hit it on the nose. So just to make that even more concise and to sum it up is really you have to take the first step. Yeah. It is very much, you know, intentional prayer and asking God to put these opportunities in front of you and open those doors for relationships in whatever capacity that is. But you can't just allow or expect it to just come to you. Mm-hmm. Have the courage to take the first step and also have the security to not be afraid of rejection. Because I think sometimes, which is a whole nother conversation, that may be the fear yeah. of you putting yourself out there and to some degree it is being vulnerable to be like, Hey, I'm looking for a community. I'm looking to build these relationships and people may not on the other end of that request being responsive and that's okay. Right. Those weren't the people that wasn't the community that yep. wasn't the group of individuals um, for you or maybe just at that time. So I would add that just to everything of just having the courage and being secure in, okay, like if people aren't going to be responsive to that step, that's okay. And not allowing you to just like go into your mode of isolation or just loneliness because, Oh, some people weren't as accepting to the thought of wanting to start this community or being a part of it and still just taking those steps as you see fit and, with wisdom, insight, and knowledge, of course, um, that makes sense to you and where you're at and whatever situation that may be. So I would say the same, literally everything that you mentioned. So if you're in school, that may look like just finding some clubs of different individuals, making some, ten- making some connections, sharing your story, like who you are, you know, going out of your way and just being hospitable and, genuine and meeting I like people. that i like that can i can i come in right here yes sir i like that the word the word talked about how light exposes the dark that's not just the word that's just common sense but <laughs> in a uh symbolic way the light exposes the dark 
you you will never know because I've been in situations. And I know you have too. You never know the people who have a faith. I've been in situations where I would have no idea that someone was a Christian or believed oh in God goodness. or believed in Jesus. But just me sharing it, like, hey, this is who I am. Yeah, a big part of me is I believe in God. Like, I have a strong relationship with Him. That's something I'm working on. And then people would be like, oh, that's like I respect that. Like, I too, like I go to church and they start spilling their whole life story, bro. Like, yeah, bro, I grew up in church and da da da. That's what I'm saying, though. Like that, you may th- be the catalyst. I'm like getting chills right now because it's something I'm so passionate about. Because to your point, that has happened so much. Yes. Right. Sometimes you need to be the one to take the first step. And like in high school, like unfathomable. Until this day, that happens. Like you, I would have never known. They may have not themselves, and not a knock to them at all, had that courage or at least gotten to the point to like take the step themselves. But yeah. you just saying being bold and uncompromising going no like this is a part of who i am the biggest part of who i am what i do what i participate in what i want to grow in and then that is just a a snowball effect of everyone being oh wow they become that much more comfortable with themselves who they are and then that just creates the whole community of like oh wait oh wait they they about this they unashamed Mm -hmm. and they living it out and just being able to have fun too Oh, then it's over with. But yo, that happens. Y'all are going to be surprised. I hope you all just take this and step by step, whatever that looks like for you, because I promise it will happen. You will be so shocked of those people of, wow, like they, they tapped in as well. For real. Because a lot of believers just create a bad habit of hiding it away, like due to kind of back to the last question, they're afraid of criticism and backlash. So they kind of hide away their faith. And then you showing yours that's your light and it kind of exposes that part of them like oh this this is this thing i've been hiding like it kind of shines a light on it and then they feel comfortable like you said to talk about it so yeah that's it that's i don't deep. not cheat code but you get what i mean that's like bro just right. do that just do yeah, that just take 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 the take the first step yeah take the first step um whatever capacity that is and even even online like whatever that looks like you know like getting getting connected there like through different like bible studies or things that you see and just like you know find stuff like that because you know a lot of our friends our closest friends that's somehow how it happened and that was unintentional intentional god thing that's a whole nother story but you know that that could also be an avenue so yeah doing that and i believe that was pretty much it for those so okay yeah. we got a, we got a few more minutes so i'm trying to see which ones we want to yes we want to get to because there's some good ones okay so what's been the most difficult part of your walk with god i think we answered that in the last episode a bit uh, maybe do you want to do you do you I have a different answer, answer. That one? okay I have a different answer so okay we can, well, well, okay we can go with that one go ahead so okay So this answer starts like this. I learned that when God pours, he doesn't half pour. Anytime God fills you up, and what I mean by that, anytime you're in your presence, you're in your word, you get an encounter with God, he is pouring into you. And he always pours to the brim, right? And I think for so long, I was asking God to pour more into me, but I was asking the wrong question. It's not God pour more into me because he always pours the cup fully. Your question has to become increase my capacity, right? And, um, increase my capacity. So once I realized that, it really just comes down to increasing your capacity in your relationship with God. And that looks like crucifying your flesh and feeding your spirit. The more you feed your spirit, 
the more it grows. Like, look at us. I'm 20. I wasn't always this size. When I was younger, my parents had to feed me. The more they fed me, right, the more I ate, the more I fed myself, I grew. And it's the same with our spirit. If you want to increase your capacity to receive more from God, you have to feed your spirit. You have to kill your flesh. And to answer the question, that has been the hardest part of my walk is increasing my capacity, feeding my spirit, and killing my flesh. Um, what Jesus said, he was like, those who believe in me, it's like you have to pick up your cross, right? You have to pick up your cross and crucify your flesh and crucify yourself. Um, and and it and it's the, the the most difficult part, but it's also the most rewarding part, right? So it's it's a, it's a catch twenty two. Um, that's why stuff like fasting is so important because what fasting does is it increases right your feeding your spirit and increases your capacity. Um, so yeah, I would say that's that's been the hardest part is learning how to crucify my crucify my flesh and do it daily like what that really looks like like always starving my flesh of its desires and the things that it wants not just food but you know little urges like eating candy and stuff like that you know what i mean stuff that i aren't necessary um that's been the most difficult difficult part but it's the most rewarding part because it increases your capacity to this all that goes back to all the questions like increases your capacity to hear from god and makes your voice more sensitive to him or your ear more sensitive to his voice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's 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 my answer. It's been the most difficult part, but it's the most rewarding, too. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was trying to find what my answer may have been, and I was thinking it was something that I may have explained in the last episode, but there was something that came to my mind, and it's the fact that the most difficult part of my relationship with God and what that's looked like is understanding that my and that by extension all of our experiences with god in terms of like the relationship we have with them the way we're walking out our life with him at the center is inexhaustible in the sense of not becoming familiar among or mundane with who he is what he can do or what he wants to get through you and so I think that there was a lot of pride and ego that got in the way as I was younger because I consumed so much of God's word and I was so deep in study and having different experiences and seeing him show up in so many different ways that at some point I was like, oh, this is all it had to offer. Like I've, 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 I've read this before. I've already spoken on this a million times. I've, no, I've, I've seen you do this. And getting familiar as if he can't do that much more. And there's, again, to the point of really understanding the, the nature of who he is in an inexhaustible way, that even when our study in the Bible, that even if you've read something quite literally a thousand times, there's still some more revelation you can get out of it that there is no limit to what God can do in his word and our experiences with him and as we're walking it out. And so not allowing myself to become stagnant and limit my perspective of who he is because of what I've known and familiar with. Right. So, yeah, that's what I would say. I think that's probably one of the most difficult things or hurdles that I've had to really overcome and get out of is really understanding that, all that he is in our experience is inexhaustible. You can't get enough. You don't know enough. You haven't seen enough. Right. <laughs> and you never will. So he, he has so many sides and things that he wants to reveal and will continuously do that like for eternity. So 
not not getting familiar in with God and being mundane in our relationship with him and thinking that this is anything but like extraordinary. So yep. with that, let's see. I don't know which one I want to get into. The next question is what are y'all hobbies? It's crazy because I've been I've been trying to pick some more up, but I've been biking a lot more frequently, going for walks, um, sitting out on the porch, real old head stuff. Um <laughs> uh reading. I wanna start uh what was it I wanted to start doing that I haven't done yet? Um like bowling more frequently. Bowling? Yeah. Oh, you can become one of those. Go have I'm trying to ball. start bowling. There was something else I wanted to start doing. I don't remember. I want to start hooping a little bit more. Uh, chip, bro. Chip, bro. bro. Go ahead. Keep going, bro. I'm not trying to mess up your flow, bro. <laughs> don't what mind What else me. I be doing, bro? <laughs> I'm a homebody, y'all. I don't even be doing much. I don't, that's Jordan why I said I'm trying to. Jordan, Jordan still got hoop dreams. I be walking into his room, and he be playing these Ball of Life mixtapes from like 10 years ago when we was in no, middle school. Bro. They're not from 10 he's years not, ago, bro. He's not giving up on it, bro. He wants that mixtape so bad. They're not from 10 so years. Bad. They're updated videos, bro. They're not. It's not mixtapes, bro. All right, whatever. But that's all my. That's really all my hobbies consist of, for real. Um, what what you be doing, bro? I don't really. I'll be honest. I don't have hobbies. There's a lot of things I really do want to do and get into. Now, I can say I picked up biking a bit, i.e. Yeah, from Jordan himself. And I do read. I would say I journal. I'll do poetry from time to time. Yeah. I consider something that, you know, that's on the side just for fun and leisure that I do. But there are a lot of things I do want to pick up. Like I want to start, I desperately want to learn the piano and actually start playing. I don't have like the funds to see. I have like, when people ask me, like I'll say hobbies that I want to do that I'm not doing right now because in my mind, they are my hobby. I just don't. <laughs> I just probably don't have the capacity or resources to have it happen. So I'm gonna say, as a hobby, I play the piano <laughs> in my head. That's so crazy. I do probably want to start making maybe beats or something. I feel like learning the piano would be a great transition into that when it comes to like yeah. DJing, DJing, mixing, For sure. mastering, putting instrumentals and different songs together. That's something that I really enjoy. I love that process within itself and so get into that at some point but the problem is i'm as you all can tell i feel like i'm always in work mode and like in my entrepreneurial space so any hobby i have or at least aspire to do it is a struggle for me not to think of ways to like try and monetize it which obviously defeats the purpose of it being <laughs> a hobby so yeah uh, update on that soon nonetheless <laughs> so let's see all right Last two. What's the hardest part about running a podcast? I love this question because I don't think we have the time. We we don't always have the space to talk about podcasting. And I do enjoy when we have the opportunity to speak on it a bit and give people the behind the scenes. So what would you say is the hardest part? Has been, is, um, the last two years? I will, say, I will say at first the hardest part was consistency. Um, it was the most difficult part and it's the part I hated the most. Uh <laughs> Right now, now it's cool. Like, I think for so long, bro, because you would be like, bro, we got to record. I'm like, bro, no, bro. 
I don't no. want to record. No. Like, I remember for the first like six, maybe like six months, I really had to learn consistency and how important it was. But now it's like that's that's no longer the most difficult part about it. I think sometimes it gets difficult, but it's definitely a lot easier than it once was because um, we've just been doing it for so long, right? Um, it's like a routine. I th- I think what became the hardest thing, I guess, was uh, what's the words I'm looking for? Content, uh, mm, content ideas. creativity for for lack of better terms, like coming up with new ideas, coming up with new topics, new ways to sometimes say the same things, uh, new, new ways to, you know, keep y'all entertained and make sure y'all enjoying while y'all listening and stuff like that. That has become the most difficult part because with longevity, that just subsequently becomes harder. Because, We've been yeah. doing it, well, it's about to be three years, you said? It's a good, it's um, a good problem to have. It's a great problem to have, um, but it's hard. <laughs> Stand, stand in the test of time for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well you got what you got to say though no i would to the latter of what you just mentioned i'd say the same i think yeah. coming up with new ways to express the same ideas but again it's an issue that comes with standing the test of time and being consistent and just great at what you do and yeah. so once you're great at what you do you have to evolve and become that much greater at what you're doing and so it's a challenge, but it's extremely rewarding. And, you know, you are going to be seeing a lot of that um, actually starting next week in terms of how we're incorporating that and doing that going into year three, which I'm so excited for. Yeah. And I would say just keeping the main thing, the main thing. And so sometimes it's so easy to find yourself almost compromising who you truly are and the reason you started to get more attention, more views, no, no more notoriety, more fame, money, fill in the blank. And so that can take your attention away from the main thing and what really matters, which is getting up behind this mic every week, providing value, changing people's lives, getting great at your craft. And so it's having an understanding and finding that balance between realizing, okay, the marketing, monetization, administration, and business acumen of what we do is important, but it's not the most important thing. And we have to find that balance of giving time to both because um, both matter, but there is a priority and like, this is it. So yeah, I think that's been the biggest struggle like this year. And I think, again, it's all come together the way it needs to. I think I finally found it. We both have. And yeah, we're, we're just moving forward. So yep. last question, what is something you're expecting God to do? They put in parentheses big. <laughs> big? <laughs> big is in parentheses? Uh, well, this is going to be said, I'm anticlimactic answer. They said, I'm talking big. Oh, that's crazy because my answer is not. <laughs> it's not big. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> hmm, something I'm I'm expecting God to do well okay i guess i'll start with big you know since they they preface that um i want to start operating in my spiritual gifts i've been reading um i feel like i've been very stagnant about it like i've been asking god to reveal to me what my spiritual gift well we're all supposed to prophesy right and we all have the ability to on some level but i've been asking god to reveal to me okay what's my specific gifting in terms of like my spiritual gift like what is that is it right but I've been, um, I haven't been diligent in that. Like I haven't been reading books to learn more about how it works and the spiritual gifts. 
so I've just got this book about uh, operating in the prophetic. Um, and I've been learning a lot. So I've been praying on that a lot. Just God revealed to me, help me to operate more in my spiritual gifts um, for your glory. Right. Um, and to just see more people healed and to be more effective at evangelizing and being a light. Uh, so that's big. That's, that's big what I've been expecting God to reveal to me. But my actual answer is I've just been praying that God, helps me and guides me into just complete contentment with where I'm at. And it's a catch 22 because I think with that, I'm not really expecting him to do anything. Right. Like, <laughs> like outside of what I just talked about, it's like, I don't want to keep praying for a lot of things. Like I want God to help me be content with what he's given me and to help me to manage it. Well, I think that's really where my heart's at right now. I I want to learn what it's like to, not just care about God's hand, but to care about his heart, like genuinely just like care about him for who he is and his character. Cause I think so many times, even when you get into a place of gratitude, your first inclination is to thank God for the things that he's done. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's biblical. Like you're supposed to do that. But I, I also want to get to a place where I'm just honoring who he is. Right. Like, like I've been talking about just like your glory, you're holy and perfect you're everywhere all at once and you created all of this and you know what I mean? Like loving him for his character and, and, and really getting there. And I think a part of that is just being content with what I have and not always asking for something else and asking for the next thing, but managing what I have well and loving him for his character. Um, so that's kind of just been my prayer help helping, uh, help me to just be content with what I have. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my answer is totally the opposite. Like I took a, <laughs> totally different approach to that question no you're just so like spiritual mature <laughs> and content mine's like i'm gonna take us to the moon bro that's what i'm expecting oh, but shit. no so i'll start with that to be honest that's the first crazy. thing that came to my mind is in terms of what i'm expecting thinking big i am expecting and of course, like through God, honestly, because it's the only way it's going to happen and, and what I see just different being one of the biggest podcasts in the world um, at some point in time. And that's a sure thing. And so that's something that I'm expecting that's on my mind that I think about. I'm expecting for um, both of us to be TBE when it comes to our craft and what we do, which stands for the best ever for those yeah. who don't understand in terms of just reaching like a level of like greatness that is so apparent that it's only God, you know? So that's like goat status to me um, is when it points back to him. Cause you're that great at what you do and it can only be God, be, right. you know, in his hand on your life. So those are two things that come to mind and, you know, just restoration, just everything, you know, sometimes you think that you lost or you lost in terms of time and decisions or, what may have happened in the past you wish you would have done differently in terms of giving more attention to different things, having focus in this area and you feel you would have been further ahead, you know, just knocking that out of the mentality thought process and how you're seeing where you're at and where you're going. And then, you know, expecting God to give that to you yeah. and bring it back tenfold. So those would be the three major things. A lot different than what Jordan was speaking to, but <laughs> along the lines. But nonetheless, yeah, that's it for this is 116. 
This is 116? Hey, I, I can't even show it on my camera. But yeah. I still got to get the 116 tag too. What? This, this, six. this 116, y'all. Hey. Come on. Come on. Listen, it's about to go up next week, August. We here. We with yeah. it. It's number eight. For those who don't know, eight is my favorite number. And for whatever reason, I'll get, I'll get into that next week. But yeah, so eight's going to go up. Nonetheless, we love y'all. We love y'all. And you know what it is. Stay you. Stay real. And stay humble. We'll catch y'all next week. Much love.